Welcome, this is Leading with Spirit, the show that gives you an in-depth look at topics like what it takes to navigate your spiritual journey, how to heal yourself and grow your spiritual gifts, and balanced practices to expand your business and your spiritual leadership. I'm your host, Spirit Bird, shamanic teacher, healer, and author, here to guide you on your journey to becoming your most potent spiritual leader. Hello and welcome. Thank you for joining us here and Leading with Spirit for um, another panel for our psychedelic series. And I'm really excited to introduce you to three really incredible women today. Um, B. Chan is, um, after leaving her seven-year HR corporate career, she found herself rediscovering her ancestral roots in Asia, where she stumbled on digital marketing, entrepreneurship, and plant medicine, a super potent combination. Um, and profound psychedelic trips from Thailand to Mexico led B to collide with her whole soul sister. And together they created Sisters in Psychedelics. Um, and so I will also introduce to you uh, Dan- Dana Harvey. She is the other part of Sisters in Psychedelics. She's a psychedelic educator, guide, and community builder, um, a former C-suite executive in a publicly traded psychedelic company. She says uh, the mushrooms told her to resign and pursue work at a more personal and heartfelt level. And then our other guest today is um, is Chris Taylor. She's a microdosing integration practitioner. So her microdosing practice is enhanced by her training certification through Salt City Psychedelic Therapy and Research, as well as her postgraduate certificate in applied positive psychology. Kristen's practice also encompasses multidimensional healing modalities like Reiki, Yoga Nidra, somatic movement, shamanic drumming, and equine therapy. And her passion is working with Blue Lotus, Amanita Mascaria, Wachuma, and Psilocybin. So welcome, ladies. <laughs> we'll get thank the formality you. out of the way. Um, thank you so much for joining uh, us today. I'm excited to dive in and hear about um, each of you have a pretty interesting story. And I'm also really interested in uncovering where we might uh, all overlap a little bit to where the commonalities are. So um uh, B, I'd love to hear from you a little bit more in detail about the move into, well, I guess maybe what called you to the, it, it sounds like a whole healing journey in the first place. How did that start for you? How did you know it was important to follow that trail? Yeah. Um, huh, let me see. I think, I think initially it wasn't, it wasn't that it was more of like a curiosity because at that time when I was in Thailand, um, a lot of my friends were going to this little hippie town called Pai, which is just a couple hours north of Chiang Mai. And uh, they were telling me all about their mushroom experiences. I'm like, that sounds really interesting. I've never had that experience before. And so then I organized a trip with my close friends and we went up there. And so um, the first time I had a Thai mushroom shake, I actually didn't really feel anything. It was kind of like that slight buzz that you know you would get after like a, a glass of beer or wine or something like that. And so I thought, okay, well, maybe I just, I don't know, didn't take enough or I don't know, I maybe need to try it uh, again a couple more times. And so um, when I went down to one of the Thai islands, I had another opportunity to try. And again, nothing really um, like perceptively changed for me. Mm -hmm. And so I thought, okay, well, maybe this just isn't really for me. And it wasn't until, um, so that was maybe 2018, 2019. And then it wasn't until COVID <laughs> happened, I uh, came home back to Vancouver, Canada, 
I wasn't quite ready to be back yet. And a lot of my digital nomad friends were going down to Mexico at that time because it was one of the only countries that was still open and free and kind of operating like it was pre-pandemic. And so down I went, I spent about seven to nine months there on and off. And that's when I really fell into a crowd of very spiritually open and curious uh, people that led me to actual group ceremonies. So I had my first ayahuasca ceremony, my first five MEO DMT. And then I returned about a year later and I had a Mazatec and mushroom ceremony as well. So it wasn't until at that point where I um, really felt called to dive in deeper about what is set and setting and intention and dosage and safety. And like, how do I do preparation? How do I integrate this afterwards? And um, when I came back from my first time going to Mexico, came back to Vancouver, and that's when um, I was really craving for that psychedelic community with a focus uh, on or for women. And um, that's when I collided with Diana. Beautiful. That's wonderful. Thank you so much for sharing all that. And interesting, too, because I feel like you hear a lot of stories where people go and have like a big experience right off the bat and then do like a total 180 in their life and uh, I'm glad to hear that. I'm not glad, but it's interesting to hear that there are so many different ways that you might have yeah. an experience and start to engage in this kind of work. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So um, yeah, that's a nice segue to you, Dana. Can you share a little bit about, um, yeah, how, what was your side of the story of, of coming into this work and meeting with B? Mm-hmm, sure. Um, well, I, probably had my first psychedelic experiences as a teenager, um, recreationally. Um, but it was many, many years after that, when I had the opportunity to actually experience transformational, um, psychedelic medicine use and therapy. Um, so I had had some experience with that, but psychedelics wasn't really on my radar. Um, but in the meantime, I had been growing a 30 plus year career in global corporate communications, specializing in uh, emerging technologies and new industries. So as psychedelics re-arose in the Western world and started to become an industry, it made sense for me to be recruited into the space, um, as you mentioned, as CCO and head of investor relations for one of the publicly traded companies which I thought was an amazing opportunity. It was um, a great opportunity for me to kind of marry my own personal experience with the science, the research, the history, the um, the politics, all everything else that goes into the package of, of psychedelics um, in our current state in the world today. And um, I really felt like I was doing some good there in helping to educate the world and to help to destigmatize around these psychedelic medicines and, and their powerful potential. But uh, something wasn't really sitting right for me. I couldn't really put a finger on it. I was having a little bit of anxiety. I was um, feeling a little bit buoyed by my um, commitment to investors Um communicating what they need to hear versus what maybe what I might like to express about these medicines. Mm. Um, but I wasn't, I wasn't really sure what was going on until I did have a, a therapeutic experience with psilocybin. And it became really clear to me <laughs> that um, my directive was to stop move, working so much in my head um, and in the masculine side and to come back to my heart and femininity. And I came up with three pillars, which was provide loving guidance, share evidence-based knowledge, and build supportive communities. <laughs> so that is how I 
came to resign from my position and dive really deeply into learning more about these medicines, uh, particularly around microdosing, um, doing a lot of education, having the opportunity to apprentice um, and be mentored by um, experienced guides and therapists in the field. Built a, a really great community that's alive and well on Clubhouse today. We have about 2,000 members there and maybe 300-ish through our rooms every week. And was traveling in that direction when I ran into my soul sister, B. And uh, she was looking for this community. I was looking for the community as well. And we just started Sisters in Psychedelics by throwing something up on Meetup just to see if, well, if we're searching for this, maybe other women are too. And we had, you know, 16, 15, 16 random strangers come and have a potluck dinner at B's house. And that was the beginning of what has become Sisters in Psychedelics, a, a grassroots to global, now global a community with members as far away as the Philippines, Australia, Argentina, and chapters in uh, four different places in North America. Mm, wonderful. Oh, thank you so much for sharing that. I'm excited to talk a little bit more about what you guys have going on there also. I'm curious, um, I'm curious when you came to that decision to resign, what did that feel like? Was that, did you feel really confident or were you like, what the fuck am I about to do? Second, second. (laughs) (laughs) I was pretty in shock, but at the same time, really like, yeah, okay. I get the message. That's what I have to do. I was, I was scared. Um, You know, I had a lot of ego in in, wrapped up in my career and my position. I had all my financial security. Um, It wasn't an easy decision to make. I didn't have like credentials. I wasn't a therapist. I I had been a mentor and a coach for many years and had particularly supported women um, coming from male dominated industries. But I was ready coming out of that experience. I was ready to resign the next day. And I had to just step back and realize that there's an integration process and maybe, you know, like maybe I should think about this a little bit more because it's pretty extreme and how am I going to tell my family this? Um, so that lasted for six weeks before I, I actually went in and, and resigned. And um, yeah, thankfully it was met uh, by people who understand how mushrooms can have a message for you. And so um, my decision was really well supported. So, Yeah. Wonderful. I think sometimes in the in the world of the internet, there it kind of there's the stories so, sometimes told like you've gotten like this big grand download and then you're fully confident. You're like, I'm changing my life, and I <laughs> for most of it is not like that. And even when you are really really connected to what you're doing and like on that soul mission, even in the process, it often feels like, whoa, am I actually doing this? And it's like I still feel like that yeah. sometimes. <laughs> totally. totally. So, um, Kristen, I'd love to hear from you. Can you share? Um, you have an interesting background as well. And I would also love to hear, um, yeah, where your journey intersected with psychedelics. And um, we'll start there, maybe. Okay. Well, what I love is that I'm here because of Sisters and Psychedelics, actually. <laughs> so, um, reaching out to Dana and B a long time ago. And then, um, also, the call for participating in this podcast was all there on the app. So we're all here due to that. And I actually refer my clients to Sisters and Psychedelics. And a lot of them say, I'm just reaching this point where I feel so alone or I don't have a community. I immediately refer them to Sisters and Psychedelics. So I want to put that out there. 
Um, I even was able to participate in a book, uh, Randall Hansen's book, that's Triumph Over Trauma, due to a call, which I love when we have these. Anyway, it's right here. Um, this book is amazing. And it has a lot of participants that were called out due to Sisters and Psychedelics. He invited people that have had experiences through um, um, personal experiences with psychedelics. And I was able to participate in that book as well, um, giving my own experience with uh, microdosing and deeper dive in psychedelics. My call to psychedelics came at Mount Shasta, actually. I went there for my Reiki attunement uh, and my life really exploded. I At that time, I still was barely like drinking Coca-Cola and feeling okay about it. Uh, raised very, very Orthodox Mormon. And I, I went with a dear friend that's a therapist who also is Mormon, but thinks outside of the box. And I tend to be a very black and white type of thinker, I, or at least used to be. And I had a few experiences of blue, my crown chakra pretty much off. <laughs> Met a woman who had been healed from breast cancer through extraterrestrials. And uh, the shaman who was introducing us to the Reiki attunements also was talking about psychedelic work and uh, other things that occurred at Mount Shasta. I just felt called suddenly to work with psilocybin and to have it be part of my life. And then I start seeing mushroom clouds in the sky and butterfly cloud next to mushroom cloud, which butterfly, I, I lived in Paraguay for a bit and my my word was panambi, which means uh, butterfly. So I kept having these things happen and then people introducing me and saying, hey, I've got some mushroom, do you wanna try it? I mean, it was just like coming at me. <laughs> and so, <laughs> Um, being a mother of five, a single mom, I'd been through a lot of extremely complex trauma right before COVID hit. And I also am a speaker. My main goals are uh, connection, wonder, and gratitude. And I was mainly speaking about helping men live victoriously. And then COVID hit, the speaking opportunities shut down other than virtual speaking opportunities. And then I was called to the psychedelic industry through Mount Shasta, got the training while I'm being trained in the Salt City Psychedelic Therapeutic Program. We had people from MAPS, we had Fatiman come and train us. And um, there was one day we were being trained in microdosing and we were being shown these scans of brains, uh, brain, brain scans of those who have been struggling with anxiety and how the dendrites had pretty much, it looked like a shovel had cut through them where they weren't able to communicate. And then the scientist said, and here's a brain. It's like, here's a brain on drugs. Well, here's a brain on microdosing. And the dendrites had been growing back like tree roots communicating again. And then they mentioned the benefits of microdosing. And it was exactly what I talked about with communication, uh, connection, wonder, gratitude. Um, it was just upping and enhancing exactly what I had been talking about with getting through negative thought loops and rumination. And I was immediately hooked, to be honest. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the intersection is interesting. Um, can you share a little bit for those that aren't familiar with microdosing? Can you just share a little bit about some of the benefits? Yeah. So I think one of the greatest and biggest benefits is the 
over a bit of a long term, about three months is where I love to, a three month marker, you have this ability to have your default mode network. I, it's like this, it's like you're on auto drive. Well, this default mode network moves a slight aside slightly and you're able to witness your patterns in a different way. A lot of times without shame or even um, judgment. And by doing so, you start being able to make gradual shifts or even changing slight the patterns that you have and have been maybe even having for most of your life. By witnessing those patterns and becoming aware of them, you can start making the shifts that you need to. There are people with um, anxiety. For some people, the microdosing can actually aid in the anxiety. Some of the mushrooms I have found, though, can actually up the anxiety. And so some people will try and they're like, oh, my anxiety got worse or my anger got worse. So you actually do need to be aware of, you know, the amount that you're taking. Uh, It's the lowest amount possible for the greatest benefit. Um, The neuroplasticity can increase, the dendrites can start growing and communicating better. But those, there are some people that might be at a higher risk like me. I have epilepsy. So it actually increased my, um, neuroplasticity, but also the communication. And there were certain mushrooms that actually increased my um, seizures. Those with bipolar are at higher risk. They can go more into a manic phase. And so uh, it doesn't mean you cannot partake, but you must partake with caution. Um, But I've had people who've been in paranoia, depression, complex trauma, and after three months, compared to 10 years of therapy, let's say, after three months, they've had phenomenal shifts and are living a life almost out of the fear state or living life in a completely different way where they are able to witness wonder and awe and feel joy and be able to be more themselves without, um, they're just more in their sovereign state and more able to witness when that's not me, that's my trigger or that's my pattern that I thought was me. Perfect. I really love um, microdosing. I I mean, there are lots of different ways that you can work with these plant medicines. And, um, and the macrodosing, like we said earlier, is tends can tend to be a bigger experience. And one of the, but microdosing can also be a really big experience. What I love about it, though, is it is there's a way that it tends to be a little bit easier to integrate, I think, into your everyday life. So it gets away from this thing where you have to go far away and then have this like huge opening and then come back and then figure out what the heck's going on. And I think for some of us, it's actually, that's part of the process of like going away, having the big opening, coming back and saying, okay, it's time for a change. And also that's not going to be for all of us. And that's one of the reasons I really like microdosing. My partner and I actually, well, it's not really a joke. We keep talking about putting a course together that's called how to do psychedelics and not get a divorce. <laughs> you know, it's like one person goes and does it and comes back. It can be challenging to like, you know, reintegrate into what what has been going on before. Um, but what I'd love to get into and hear from about you all is um is community in this work, both in sharing and educating, but just in, in the actual plant medicine experiences as well. And so I'd like to just open it up for comments and what your thoughts are on this. Yeah, I'll, I'll start just by, because that was one of my pillars that I had when I came out of my journey is uh, cultivate supportive communities. Like why, why? Um, I think, you know, there's a lot of reasons 
uh, why community is particularly important in the world of, of plant medicines. Um, one of them is quite simply uh, an effect of uh, the experience of plant medicines is very often a sense, a deeper sense of connection. And that connection can be to yourself, to the greater world, uh, to, to nature and to others. And uh, you can, you can, really feel this calling to be in a community because you have this heightened sense of, of connectivity. And in this area that is still has a lot of stigma around it, um, in many cases, in many places, it is still illegal. It's not always something that you can talk to your friends about or your family about openly and be well supported and not be judged. And for so many reasons, I think that's so important, particularly for women. We have um, we have very unique experiences as women. Um, so it's great to be supported by a sisterhood that understands our unique lives as women and and how plant medicine psychedelics may have affected that. Um, speaking also to the dark side of psychedelics that we don't speak to that often, but, you know, there's been a lot of ethical breaches in the world of plant medicine. Um, nothing new since the beginning of time, but thankfully now people are starting to speak out a little bit about it and look for solutions. And uh, very, very often when those ethical breaches have happened in, um, in the context of ceremony or retreats or therapy, um, women have been the ones who have been on the receiving end of those breaches. And so just knowing that there is a supportive uh, community where you can share those experiences, be supported, um, have resources provided to you, I think is, is really critical as well. Mm -hmm. uh, B, you mentioned, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> um, I was going to say, I think for me personally, like coming from, you know, being a BIPOC person and coming from a, a you know, cultured background, um, it is really hard for me to talk to, say, my family about this. Um, they actually don't know that I'm doing some of this stuff. A, because, yes, the cultural stigma. And then secondly, there isn't actually the word in the Chinese language that accurately represents what psychedelic does that I can use to their understanding. So there, it's um, like if you can imagine, like you can't talk about it because the words don't actually exist. So that, that's a whole different barrier that I think most people haven't really thought about before, right? And not just in Chinese, I'm sure like Japanese, Korean, um, you know, talking to my friends of other ethnic backgrounds as well, like it also does not exist. The only word that does exist that des that describes this is it's pretty much like narcotics, which to me is like a different category completely. Sure. So because there's no differentiation, it's, yeah, it's hard to have that. Um, and not just that, but in terms of, I guess, um, therapeutic concepts um and whatnot and giving you an example here would be um for example like somatic healing or um internal family systems and like all that stuff that's also i don't know if that actually exists in asia in the moment right it's like not part of the everyday language for sure and yeah i don't even know if that is something that people understand uh completely when you do try to talk about it um and adding to that, um, a different tangent that I will go to would be um, everything's better in community. Like, I don't think anyone ever wants to be alone, right? So when you have a group of people that understand where you're coming from, the challenges that you're facing, you know, wanting to celebrate your wins, it, it's always a better feeling there. And 
Um, I'm specifically thinking about like moms in this case, right? So um, I'm not a mom yet, um, but, you know, thinking about uh, future pacing myself a bit, it'd be like, well, yeah, how would I talk to my kids about this, right? I want to be talking to people who've had that experience before. And um, knowing that I think still nowadays, because it's, it is, there's still some of, um, somewhat of a stigma there and because it is highly illegal in some places, um, I think moms kind of have a fear, right? Like, oh, I can't let the neighbors know, or if my husband or my spouse is not supportive of this, like I can't really continue on doing this. And what if my kids get taken away and so on and so forth. So there's a lot of those type of like unique concerns um, from being a woman. And we have some members actually of SIP who are, um, they want to stay anonymous. Like they can't actually put their face out there in public because of their job or, you know, whatever else that it's not actually acceptable in their current environment to, um, to be open about the stuff. So, yeah, I think um, all of those reasons combined is what makes community like vital. Yeah. I'd love to comment on that. Um, so I live in Utah where um, the use of, that's why I work mainly with Amanita Muscaria and Blue Lotus now. Um, before I was, you know, blazingly, excitingly microdosing and other things. And then, um, my family, they were the ones who brought up, you could lose your kids, Kristen. Um, this is not okay. <laughs> it's not okay. And not only that they don't really, you know, but they, they saw the changes in me. They knew there were so many shifts in just me that were huge. I started trusting in myself. I started loving myself. Um, I, I was more happy. I was, even though there were days are I'm down, I mean, but as a single mother of five kids and all these other things, like a lot of things going on that were still part of the complex trauma that were still, you know, the shock, the aftershocks of the things of that happened in February of 2020. Um, they witnessed the shifts in me and yet they were like, but you've got your kids and you can lose your kids. So you've got to stop. And so I was like, you know what, then I will work with the medicines that I can work with, which are powerful, powerful companions that I can still work with. And I can still be a practitioner for those who have their medicines. I just am not a source that provides any, any medicines to anyone. Um, but this background behind me is a background of a group that I, I was part of for uh, over a year. And I was at meetings every single week. I looked forward to those meetings every single week because every single week with other practitioners, I was uplifted. I was with women and men who knew what we were all going through. And we all had this intention to lift the collective, to help others connect to medicine, as well as um, we were receiving training and we were receiving this, this ability to learn even more. And honestly, I was able to meet in person about eight or nine of 14 people. And when I hugged them, they felt like soul, literally like soul family. And it's so interesting how the medicine can bring people together that you never thought you would even meet. I, I call it like the dream catcher and you are these beads and each bead, suddenly when you meet a new bead, it it opens up your perspective and your opportunities and your soul family gets called to you in ways that you never, ever thought would be possible and opportunities open in ways that you never thought were possible and synchronicities start popping up and the community, like the other day I had a call with one of the women who's a mom 
And I said, you know, it's so refreshing to talk to you. I can talk to you in this way that I can't talk to other people in a way that's so open-minded and so just the universe has our back and we can trust these things and speak in a language that's a kind of woo-woo and very unique that maybe someone wouldn't understand, but she gets me and I get her and it feels like home. And when you feel like you're at home with somebody, you can't beat that. It's like a good cup of coffee that you, you know, you, you would go maybe five to 10 miles just for that good cup of coffee. That's what home feels like when you find your star family. And I have found that psychedelics have brought a lot of my star family to my life. I'll actually add on to that, that it's interesting um, from, from the other end of being one that gathers people together is, and the way that um, all the different plants, I mean, psychedelics or not, will speak to you and give you suggestions or maybe not, maybe they're really bossy. Some, some medicines are very bossy. Um, and it's really beautiful to watch, like it, from my experience, the medicines will say, this is what we want this to be about. This is what the purpose of this is. And they'll often like start me off with like a few people that it's intended for. And then I love the dream catcher phrase. And then from behind the scenes, it's really interesting to watch how it's starting to call out and gather people. And you can see like, oh, those two people are working like opposite ends of the same thing, or those two people are going through the same thing. You can kind of see how they're like reaching out and calling in people as medicine for other people too, which is really, I mean, that's the whole part of the community is like part of it is the medicine and part of it is just people actually being together and connecting and communicating in a really open way. Yeah. B, you mentioned a little bit about set and setting. Can you share a little bit more about what that means to you or what your experience was there? Um, I think I, so I'm kind of like taking a step back. I think the reason why I had to learn it <laughs> was when I went to vet the different places or the different um, facilitators that I was potentially going to take medicine with. And so because we're in a... Um, country where like, I don't speak the native language, like, you know, things are just not as accessible. It's not like um, these, you know, native um, shamans or, you know, people coming up from Colombia have like a website and the like, Google reviews and stuff like that. It's very much underground. And so um, speaking to a lot of the people in my network about, oh, hey, how was your experience there? I'm like, what did you think about this? Or what have you heard about this person? Um, a lot of those type of talks um, started to come up. And so um, learning about set and setting. So to me, um, set is your mindset and your setting is your physical environment. And um, yeah, just making sure that, for example, when I have made contact with a, I don't know what to call them, um, a facilitators, facilitators down there. It's like, okay, well, how are they prepping me? Like, are they even bothering to hop on a phone call with me and vet me and ask me the questions that, you know, they should be asking to make sure that I'm I'm suitable for this. Um, and then, you know, really explaining and walking me through the process because essentially it was my first time. Like I had no idea what to expect. Um, it's And also some of them were like in the middle of the jungle. <laughs> so it literally was like, bring your yoga mat. We're going to be there overnight. And like, I really wanted to know, okay, well, what is it going to be like? Like, can you kind of, you know, talk to me about this type of stuff? Or can I talk to um, your actual facilitators that are going to be there on the day of about it just to give me that reassurance. And so, um, yeah, I think my findings was um, 
some, some were better than others, but I would say if you were, if you were doing it in North America, absolutely hands down, like they should be taking all these precautions and even more with you, you know, to make sure that you feel safe because essentially you're coming, especially um, like public group ceremonies, you're coming into a space where you're going to be very vulnerable. You don't know who's going to be, um, you know, taking the medicine beside you. You need to make sure that, you know, you feel good first of all. But if you're going to more um, of these places where it is underground, um, yeah, I just wouldn't expect so much more information to be forthcoming. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that can definitely make a big difference in the experience that you have with it. And I think there, I, I'm glad you brought that up, Dana, too, that like, there's a lot of, um, you know, uh, shiny talk around psychedelics and all the wonderful things that they can do. And, uh, rediscovering what it does and the excitement behind that and how quickly we can make big changes in our lives. And also it's not all shiny, um, you know, and whether, whether you're a participant or a facilitator or both, um, there's a lot to navigate. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, in this moment, what's coming up for me also, you know, around just like the travel, I feel like same thing. There's like a spectrum there where for a lot of people that seems to be part of the experience is like feeling like they're going, going somewhere very exotic, going to a different place to maybe a different culture and having an experience like that. And a lot of times I think that people think that that makes it better and it's not necessarily true either because you can have really great experiences that are more curated with people that are working within your gender, your culture, and understand how it's going to integrate into into your life. Not to mention, it's so interesting the way the medicines make their way around, because I feel like there's a combination of, like, this is one of the things that they're doing to help bring people together, right, is like traveling across the world. But also, we have medicines, uh, you know, like you were saying, Kristen, that uh, are accessible to us here that aren't illegal, that grow around us. And what better medicines to use than the ones that are actually like right beneath our feet right now. Um, so, so I have so many things I want to play with and I want to, um, you know, bring us to, to a close. What I would love to hear from each of you, I know this is like a, a big vague question, but like, tell me your dream, tell me your dream about for your, for yourself, for this work, what you would like to see in the, the world with um, working with these medicines. Yeah, I would love to see these medicines to be um, accessible and acceptable to all who choose to use them. Um, not just, uh, you know, we, we're, we're, we're making strides in the right direction. We're definitely going, moving towards uh, destigmatization. Regulators are getting on board. They're changing laws. Um, decriminalization is happening in many places and legalization is happening in many places. And um, I think, I think these are all amazing strides that we're making. And I I do wish my my hope is that the use of psychedelic medicines is not just relegated to the realms of clinical diagnoses and medicalized route to access them. So um 
I could, you know, there's so many other ways to use these medicines for good, for, for human optimization, for creativity, for motivation, for getting in touch with your intuition, for making you a better person, basically. Um, so just having them relegated to like, you must be clinically di- diagnosed with treatment resistant depression. You must have shown that you've tried every other thing in the book and nothing's working. Um And even when you do go through that route at this point in time, it's super cost prohibitive. So ideally, the insurance companies are going to get on board as well and start including psychedelics in their, um, you know, in their offerings to to corporations, et cetera, to cover psychedelic therapy or um, guided psychedelic use um, as as part of insurance. So, again, it, it helps with accessibility. And further is let's not forget where these plant medicines come from and the people and the cultures that have been using these for healing, for growth, for ritual, for millennia. And um, let's not forget them as we evolve. Um, Let's be reverent. Let's be grateful. Um, My fear with the the fully medicalized route is that we're not giving reverence to um, the more spiritual side and the cultural roots of these medicines. So again, coming back across the board to accessible and acceptable for all who choose to use them. Mm -hmm. Thanks. Mm -hmm. We're all nodding, but inside we're we're, we're all like, yes, yes, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. about you, Kristen? What's your dream? Well, after that, Dana, (laughs) uh, that was beautiful. Um, Honestly, I, I dream and hope that every person will be led to be able to trust self and lean into their own sovereignty, be able to taste of universal love. It sounds so cliche, and but it's so real um every time i go into deep medicine i'm like what is the answer what am i supposed to do and it's literally like be you (laughs) and you're like oh fine but it's literally what it's all about like that's what these medicines tell you to do it's all about trusting self learning to be who you truly are and i have a four-year-old And she has yet to have been completely, you know, um, formed into, uh, I don't know, this statue yet. And so even though I love Huanyin, but like, you know, she hasn't been fully molded. And because of that, uh, today she's at uh, this beautiful farm uh, market and she's taking the duster, this feather duster that's really expensive and supposed to be sold. And she's underneath and she's sweeping the floor with it because no one's taught her that that's not a broom. And and she's loving it and having fun. And I'm over there going, ah, you know, like, please stop. It costs like $47. But she's just having the time of her life being her. And that's what I have been learning through, you know, the huge resets with macro dosing and the micro dosing of relearning to just reconnect to my heart is all about be you, be you, be you and connect, connect, connect. And remember that wonder, gratitude and connection are some of the greatest ways to remember who you are. So that's that's my dream. 
And like Dana said, um, when we put a lot of laws and regulations around everything, it can get kind of messy and make it so that the people who I, I, I would love full accessibility. And it's really difficult to do that when there's fear or also when there's people who want to control things to, you know, how do you make how do you make, how do you make uh, everything organized if you were to do something like that when you have so many people? So those those things I can't answer. So sovereignty, universal love and being able to feel oneself mm -hmm. and love self. Beautiful. Um, I was like jotting down notes of what my dream would be when you two were talking. So <laughs> thank you for giving me time. Um, you know, going back to this kind of um, seed of an idea that I had, um, probably around the same time that I met Dana, um, one is really rebranding um, everything psychedelic related in Chinese because the words don't exist or the words that exist now are not fully um, descriptive, like accurately descriptive. So for example, um, psychedelics right now is my um, Yun, which is pollution, like negative hallucinogen, right? Not inaccurate, but like th there are better words to use to actually get that meaning across. The word for MDMA is Feng Taoyun, which is basically shaking head pill, because that's what happens when you take it at a rave, right? So like very, very like party drug scene. Um, there actually is a word for psilocybin uh, that has existed. I just kind of found this out a couple months ago. Um, it's more of a nickname though. I don't know what the proper term is, but it's um, Su Su Yan. It's like little people because you see little people when you take it. So I'm like, okay, that's, that's kind of cute. Um, so like the whole rebrand of that, kind of like how um, marijuana got rebranded to cannabis. And then there's like a lot more accepting there, right? So doing that for the Chinese community. And then secondly, somehow taking all this learning that I have on the set setting, dosing, safety, you know, like all this type of stuff that we have so that we're so accessible to in the Western culture and bringing it back to the East. Because I think that there's been a lot of um, families who went through communism, war, or famine, and all that type of stuff um, that caused a lot of generational trauma, mine included, that would really benefit from all of these things. Um, and also, just out of my own curiosity, really going back to um, like Chinese shamanism. I also didn't know that that existed until recently as well. <laughs> but um, it's the word for... It's actually the word for witch, but like, I guess they use it for shaman as, as well is mo, uh, wu. And, um, you know, going back to history, like China is actually one of the, it's actually the youngest. It's like the fifth ancient civilization on earth. And so there must have been a lot of things that happened way back when that, um, you know, a lot of people don't know about myself, including uh, myself included in that list. But I really want to dig back into it, just kind of find that, um, overlap between psychedelic or just like healing um healing using plants for sure traditional chinese medicine but like psychedelic plants and um you know where we are today so that's my dream mm -hmm. beautiful thank you so much thank you to all of you um i second second your dreams i'm with you holding your hands here too um yeah and i agree there's um yeah the importance of um, diversity in the field is, um, is very significant. And I, I'm just like listening as you all are talking and 
sharing your story of where you were and where the plants have taken you and where your interests are going now. And it's like, one of the phrases I like to use is like walking, walking around the wheel or walking around the circle. And I find a lot of times we'll be on one side of the circle and we might look to the other side where somebody's doing something that's very different than us or in a very different part of their life. And it's really easy to be like, they've got it all wrong. What are they doing? You know? And then as you continue to learn and grow, you find yourself on the other side of the circle and you're like, oh, now I see why they might've looked at me that way. And I can, and now they're over there looking at you doing the same thing. And I feel like one of the things that the plants seem to be doing with us is helping us all kind of like do this big shift and walk around the circle and experience something different than what we have been. Um, and that opens up a lot of possibilities. So um, Kristen, you are, you have offered uh, a free uh, consultation for the listeners. I'll be sharing everybody's link. If you've been listening, um, I'll be sharing the links and contact information for everybody, all the guests here today um, in the show notes. But Kristen, can you ch- tell us what you would be sharing? Yeah. So anyone who's intrigued or interested in uh, microdosing or working with Blue Lotus or Amanita Muscaria, um, you can just... Uh, use the Calendly link and we'll have a 30 minute consult or if you're already microdosing and I do get a lot of those clients or therapists who are have already been microdosing but would like to just adjust it slightly we can have a quick 30 minute consult beautiful thanks and then um, I'd love to hear just a quick extra bit about sister and psychedelics I know we've been talking about it I'm a big fan of the work that uh, both me and Dana are doing can you share a little bit more about it formally and how people can get involved. Sure, I'll take it. <laughs> just kick it off and then pass it over to me. We always have to just pause for a minute, see who's gonna who's gonna jump in. <laughs> um, yeah, so Sisters and Psychedelics is a platform and a community uh, that elevates, celebrates, educates, and includes women in the psychedelic ecosystem. So we are a community that welcomes in women who have never had any psychedelic experience, who are simply curious, looking for information, wanting to find out, um, all the way through to many, many practitioners and professionals. Um, and also what we call our, our mycelium network of partners who are you know, really mission-led, heart-aligned brands and companies in the psychedelic space that we collaborate with. So um, people can come to our platform to have find um, services and products that they're looking for and, and discounts, etc. I think our uh, we have many, many events throughout the year. We have chapters in Vancouver, Calgary, Seattle, and launching this month month in LA. We also hold uh, online virtual events so we can include people from around the world. One of those which is very popular is the uh, professionals sharing circle. So an opportunity to kind of network and mastermind together once a month with other professionals, uh, everything from practitioners above ground, underground, writers, marketers, lawyers, anyone who's working professionally in the space. And our pillar event, of course, is the Sisters in Psychedelics Summit. So perhaps I'll pass it over to B to carry on the story from there. Sure, sounds good. Um, so with the summit, I would say we started that September, September, 2022, uh, was our inaugural summit. It was a one day event where, um, essentially it was a response to the eight to one male to female speaker ratio in our psychedelic, um, conference circuit. 
and also to put Vancouver, Canada on the map as a place to look at for um, cutting edge research um, studies, uh, teachings, uh, educators and local leaders as well. Lots of public um, companies are actually based here in Vancouver um, in the psychedelic realm. And so we last year we had about, what was it, like 150 people. It was a sold out event, uh, 115 audience. We had about 800 on live stream. We had 33 um, all women speakers. Uh, this year, we just finalized our programming and we're really, really, really excited about the new programming that we'll be introducing this year. So we have about um, close to 40, again, all women um, experts that will be delivering, um, you know, sharing their expertise on different topics from um, motherhood and plant medicine to the dark side of the psychedelics to conscious capital to, you know, creative careers in the field to um, like legal and unregulated psychedelics in Canada and a lot of a lot more things, interesting things in between. Um, we also will be introducing uh, deep dive workshops this year. So for anyone that's interested in a particular topic, um, some of which uh, some of the speakers, some of the workshop facilitators will be speakers and some others won't be. So we have an array of workshops like uh, Kundalini dance or nature based therapy or um, what else do we have? OPR oh, and marketing in the gray market. I think that's really interesting uh, personally myself and so on and so forth. Uh, we also have a VIP connection ceremony for VIP ticket holders. It's something really, really special that we're planning um, for a select uh, group. And uh, this year, really excited to be introducing the inaugural Soul Sisters of the Year Awards. And we are welcoming um, we are welcoming nominations and self-nominations as well. So it's our first year doing all of that. And we hope that we can add a lot more um, light, positivity, inspiration, um, and yeah, just love in the world with all the things that we're putting out there. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. That sounds really exciting. And you all have offered um, a 20% off the virtual ticket. So that will be in the notes for you as well. And, um, and, and people can get involved in the community at any time, even if they can't make that event. Absolutely. Yes. And and another uh, program that we have launching shortly that we'll, we'll provide the link to is um, transformational microdosing for corporate women. So women who are experiencing burnout in the workforce, women who are the way that B and I were, <laughs> we uh, we're now uh, we're now waitlisting for that program, which we'll be launching after sometime after the summit. Oh, wonderful. Awesome. Thank you. I'm so glad you slipped that in there. <laughs> Perfect. Well, thank you all so much for uh, taking the time to join us here today. Um, thank you so much for your work in this field and your voices in this field and your voices in the world. Um, they're beautiful. And I'm so glad that I got to share this time with you. Mm -hmm. thank, thank, thank you so, you so much. For, thank you. Yeah, thanks for bringing us together. It's been a great conversation. Yeah. Thank you. I have to add just because I can. There's always like one more thing. It's really wonderful to be in conversation that feels so natural and non-competitive and inclusive. And it's just a really beautiful thing that, that all of you carry. So thank you so much. Thank you thank so much you. for that. Uh-huh. All right. Bye-bye for now. Welcome to today's member query episode, where we explore questions about spiritual paths, intuitive gifts, growing a spiritual business, and shamanism. Do you have a question for us? Send us a DM at Holton Healing Arts. This question is from an Instagram user. And the question is, how do I tap into my healer gift fully? And I love this question because 
It's one of the things that I teach in shaman school, or I should say the method that you can use to tap into your healer gift fully is the same method that I use in shaman school to help develop our advanced healers and get them incredible results. And so this is actually a four part process, but you're actually going to be working all four of these components at the same time. So we want to leave this old idea that things happen in a linear way where it's like step one, step two, step three, and now I have it and get used to a more holistic approach. So this is the grow method that I use. And in that, that includes growing your spiritual gifts. So um, restoring your self-love and self-trust offering your worker services, and then wisdom, wealth, and leadership embodiment. So all four of those components need to be happening at the same time. Basically, all all the time, you want to be developing your gifts, your self-love and self-trust, aka your inner work, your self-healing. You want to be actually doing action steps. So there's a way that a lot of us get locked in and don't feel like we're growing because we're not actually doing anything externally. We're sort of just thinking about it um, or having situations where people come up and ask us advice, but we're not actually actively using our real gifts. We're just sort of like being a nice guide, um, all, super powerful, wonderful place to be. And if the question is, how do you really tap into your true healer gifts? Um, this is the way to do that. And then of course, that embodiment piece where you are being it. And all four of these parts are just going to inform the other. So as you do your inner work, your self-healing, you're going to be unlocking more spiritual gifts. As you unlock more spiritual gifts, you might be embodying them more. As you embody them more, you might be offering your services or um, doing a new uh, program in your business or taking some new intelligence into your corporate office. Um, And then when you do that, you might then uncover some more self-healing. Or maybe when you bring that wisdom embodiment to the office, you then awaken a new gift. And so these pieces just keep cycling around and you want all of them to be um, developed and grown all the time. And when all those pieces are happening at the same time, you untap the higher potential of your healer gift much faster and uh, in a far more developed way. Uh, honestly, it surprises me. I'm still blown away by what we're capable of doing and actually how easy it is for us to access these gifts. Have you been hearing the call to expand your spiritual gifts and step into your next level of conscious leadership? If you're a coach, healer, or a spiritual leader, you can learn more about Shaman School and growing your spiritual business on our website, holtonhealingarts.com, or send me a DM at Holton Healing Arts. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Leading with Spirit. If you did, please share the link for this episode with your biggest takeaway, tagging me at Holton Healing Arts. It would also support me if you subscribed and left a rating and review of the show so we can support more people living their highest purpose. Until next time, journey on.